Thank you so much. You can be seated. Sit down. You're taking up my time. Um, I was told I have 40 minutes, which if you've ever heard me preach before, 40 minutes is like a really good introduction. Like I just get the wheels turning at 40 minutes. So uh, I'm going to have to get with it. So I don't want to waste your time uh, here this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter number 18, if you would. Uh, Acts chapter 18. I do want to say before I get started, how much I appreciate this place. It's um, quite emotional to stand in this pulpit today, uh, only because God changed my life in this place. God changed my life from the preaching from this pulpit. God changed my life by the men and women of the faculty and staff of West Coast Baptist College. I will never be the same as a result of my time spent here in Lancaster. Eternity will never be the same as a result of my time spent here in Lancaster. So to be invited to be able to open the Bible and preach here is just, uh, it's a little bit surreal for me. And so uh, Dr. Gatcha, thank you for your investment in my life. And so many times as a married college student, I was just going through some stuff and I would always stop by and say, hey, you got a minute? Not one time did he ever turn me away. Not one single solitary time. Uh, Dr. Rasmus has been such a friend to me. Every single week of the world, I get a text message from him telling me he's praying for me and praying for our church. And uh, I, I thank God for friends in ministry like that, that they weren't just here for a little while uh, in my life, but they want to be lifelong friends uh, and want to see God do great works in me and through me. And he wants the same thing for you guys as well. Uh, You're in a a very special place. I believe what God's doing here at West Coast Baptist College and Lancaster Baptist Church isn't taking place anywhere else in the world. Uh, You might just be coming here because it's the only Bible college that you knew of or because of where it was located on the map or something along those lines. But God has you here for a specific, unique purpose. Uh, Honestly, for us, we were coming from Honolulu uh, to the mainland to go to Bible college. We chose uh, Lancaster because we saw a video where a guy was standing on the beach talking about West Coast Baptist College. No lie. We came here sight unseen. We sold everything that we had in Honolulu, moved here as married college students. Uh, We drove up the 14 at night, uh, and we'd never seen it before. Uh, The Motel 6 in Palmdale is where we stayed our very first night in the Antelope Valley. We woke up the next morning. We were so excited to be here in Lancaster. This would have been 2003 time frame. We drive up 50th Street uh, East into the middle of the desert, and no lie, a tumbleweed the size of a Volkswagen bug blew across the, the, uh, the road. And I thought, what on earth did we get ourselves into? And uh, man, we, we get here and we realize there's no beach. There's a lot of sand, but no beach. Uh, and it's, but uh, here's the thing. God knew precisely what we needed. And some of the friendships that I've made here have been lifelong friendships in the ministry. Uh, and just what God's done in my life has just been so incredible. Uh, I have a great debt of gratitude to Pastor Chapel. Uh, he is, is a hero of the faith for me, has been such an influence and friend to me in the ministry. Uh, I kind of one of my dearest friends in all of the world. But first and foremost, he's still my pastor. And so I thought you pastored your own church. I do, but every pastor needs a pastor. And Pastor Chapel is my pastor, and I praise God for him. Acts chapter 18, if you would, this morning, we talk about church planting. Somebody who got it done was the Apostle Paul. No doubt about it. Man, fascinating stuff. I'm going to walk you through this passage this morning uh, and just kind of talk through some things that we see from this passage on on church planting. I'm going to interweave with this uh, some of my stories uh, that that we have of what God's done in our lives in Honolulu at the Huikala Baptist Church. And here's how I'll know that I've done a good job. If I can preach this message today, and when Dr. Getch comes up, he doesn't have to re-preach the message, I'll know I did good. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Some guys come in, it's just like, you're sitting there going like, I'm not following that at all. And Dr. Getch comes up and says, I think what Brother Smith was trying to say was, there's the perpetuity of the path. We see that in the text. Actually, we see the perseverance of the preacher. And it's like, 
Okay, I'm taking notes after of the, the wrap up. And so if I've done well today, he won't have to come up here and re-preach it. That would be a blessing to me, okay? Uh, but anyways, uh, Acts chapter 18, we're gonna start in verse number one and read through verse number uh, 10 this morning. Now, before we jump into this, make note of the fact that if we were to go back to Acts chapter 17, we've just seen Paul in Athens at Mars Hill. You guys remember the story of Mars Hill? He goes and says, hey, you got a tomb to an unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. And he even quoted some of the philosophers and poets and kind of roped in some pop culture, if you will, into his, uh, his gospel presentation that he gave there. He went from Athens then, to Corinth, uh, verse number one. Acts chapter 18, verse number one. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for their, their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And while Silas and Timotheus were come unto Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. They opposed themselves and blasphemed and he shook his raiment and he said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined heart unto the synagogue. And Christus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and believed the Lord all with his house. Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord unto in the, to, to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold thy peace, for I am with thee. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city." Before I go on, one more person that I wanted to, to thank, one more group of people is my family. Uh, sweetheart, would you and the kids stand up for me if you would? My wife, Angela, my daughter, Tallulah, my daughter, Makili, my son, Vanderlei, are here with us tonight. Uh, would you guys welcome them here today? I'm telling you this, our church would not be the church that it is if it were not for a godly wife that loves Jesus and, and kids that are submitted to the will of God. And let me just tell you this to, to college students that are thinking about dating. Uh, this is not a, a message on dating. I'm going to say this. I'm just going to drop it. And you can pick it up if you want to, okay? Here's the thing. Who you marry will determine how God can use your life in ministry. Your wife, your husband will either enhance your ministry which is what's happened in my life, enhance over and above anything I could fathom. Or your wife or husband will constrict your ministry. Keep that in mind. That's really, really huge. And I praise God for a wife who submitted to Jesus. When I said, I believe God's calling us to Honolulu to plant a church, she said, how sure are you? I said, 100% sure with every fiber of my being. She said, okay. I said, do you want to talk about that? And she said, there's nothing to talk about. If God said it, we're just going to do it. Man, I praise God for that. As we look at Paul, as he goes into Corinth here, it's, it's interesting to see Paul's uh, story of how he goes through here. He plants uh, the church at Corinth, which we find two out of four letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We get to read his mail uh, in First and Second Corinthians uh, there. Probably one of the most carnal churches in all of biblical history, which always strikes me as funny when I travel to the United States and I see Corinth Baptist Church. It's like, I don't think you know what that means. It's not a good thing, right? But he plants the church at Corinth, and it actually starts off really, really well. But we see the very first thing that Paul did when he left Athens is this. If you're taking notes, you should write down this. Paul went to the city. Paul went to the city. 
I love our little uh, drama that we had up here today, naming off big cities in America that need churches. Hey, I'm thankful for every church planter that goes to some small town in Kentucky. That's where I grew up in uh, Benton, Kentucky, population 4,000. But let me just tell you this, Benton, Kentucky for 4,000 people has about 75 Baptist churches, and that's not an exaggeration. They don't need more churches over there, okay? You don't need to find some community of 150 people that they've got a First Baptist Church and a Second Baptist Church, but they need First Independent Fundamental Baptist Church of, you know, Wascogee, Milwaukee, Minnesota, wherever, Uh, right? You need to find a place where there are people. The city of Corinth had about 300,000 people and about 475,000 slaves at the time, making a city of about three quarters of a million people. Paul didn't go into the suburbs where housing was cheaper. Paul didn't go to a place where he could get a space to rent for a couple of hundred bucks a month. Paul went to the center of a city to reach people. Let me just tell you this. If you plant a church in a city, you will never run out of people. Uh, Honolulu is a city of about 400,000 people on an island of 1 million people out in the middle of the ocean. In our town of 4,000 people, 400,000 people in Honolulu, uh, there's probably about six Baptist churches. And I'm not talking about Baptist churches like ours, like Baptist churches of of any stripe whatsoever. Uh, One of them, First Baptist Church, two weeks ago had a female pastor preach on a Sunday morning. That tells you what passes for Baptist in our town, okay? So our, our city was in need of a church plant in the city. But here's what I found out after I got there. I found out that 18 churches had been planted over the last three decades in the city of Honolulu. Do you know how many of those 18 churches made it? Zero. None. They all folded up and, and, and went home. So some people would look at that and say, wow, can't be done there. I look at that and say, wow, looks like it needs to be done there. I'm not looking for a place where I can just set up shop and maybe gather a couple of people together and have church and sing a couple of songs and go home. I'm looking for a place where I can reach an entire city and change the world. And so many times we think way too small. Oh, there's this little farming community of 12,000 people that plants a church. Hey, let's go to a city of 1,000, 100,000 people, 200,000 people, 1.5 million people. We've been staying in Los Angeles this past week and just driving there. It's just like, my heart breaks for that city. I'm not called to that city, but my heart hurts for it. Uh, of the need of the gospel there. And so I want to encourage you guys that are thinking about planting churches, think a little bit bigger than you can imagine. Go somewhere where it's hard. Go somewhere where it's difficult. Corinth would have been a hotbed of, of immorality in that day. You talk about a sinful place Corinth was in, and we see that seep into the church later on as Paul writes 1 and 2 Corinthians. It was also a cultural crossroads where there were people from all over the world living in the city of Corinth, and Paul went directly to his city to reach people. You don't reach the maximum number of people by going somewhere really small. Look, we've been in Honolulu for nine years this October. And we've knocked doors every single week of the world since we've been there. We haven't even begun to reach our city yet for the gospel. We're so, look, if we had 275 people in church this past Sunday, that sounds great. And we praise God for everything that he's done. And every single one of those people matters to Jesus. But when we're talking about 275 people out of an island of 1 million, that's not even a fraction of a drop in the bucket. We haven't even begun to get to work. And we've been at it for almost a decade now. I would love for somebody to come to Honolulu and plant another church. 
oh, that'd be competition for you. No, wouldn't we get it done together? There's enough people to go around. And here's the awesome thing about us. After we knock a certain neighborhood that's, that's within proximity to our church building, by the time we finish about eight or nine months later, that area of the map, new people have already moved into the, to where we started at. We just go back again and we're meeting all new people because there's a high turnover because there's people always there. I remember being here at Lancaster Baptist and God began to impress upon my heart to, to do something great for God. And uh, I remember that year for the open house outreach, they had a, a, a big soul winning push and encouraged everybody in the church to sign up to be one of 1,000 soul winners. You could be one of 1,000 and that didn't include college students, so it was just church family. And man, we got, a, I think it was 1,100 people signed up to go out soul winning. Man, they were passing out maps seven days a week, uh, going out and knocking doors. I remember going out to a neighborhood out in Quartz Hill, like way, way, way out in Quartz Hill. And we get there with our map. We're excited. We're going out door knocking. And the entire map had already been done. There was, there was flyers hanging on every single solitary door there. And I thought to myself, well, that's a bummer. So we drove a little bit further and we found another neighborhood. Same thing. Uh, invitations on every door that we went to. And we did this for probably 45 minutes. We drove to a neighborhood to just find people that hadn't already been invited to church yet and we couldn't find it. And at that point, God impressed upon my heart. Hey, I'm one of 1,000 here. I've got to drive 45 minutes to find somebody who hasn't gotten an invitation this week. There's a city out in the middle of the ocean that nobody's ever knocked a door in that city in 100 years. That if me and my family go to Honolulu to plant a church, we're going to be one of five soul winners, five members of my family. I'm looking for a place where nobody else is. I'm looking for another place where there's plenty of fish and not a lot of people fishing. I'm not looking to try to steal sheep from somebody else's church. I'm looking to find sheep that Jesus wants to save. And one of the ways that Paul did that is Paul went to a city. I remember being in a uh, New Testament survey with Dr. Weaver. Man, that was a blast. Uh, he is so much fun. I love that guy. Uh, and uh, so we, I don't know that we learned a lot about the New Testament. We learned a lot about Todd and Joey and Rita and everything else. And man, it was a good time. Good time. But I remember sitting there and he said, hey, all you fellows that are called to preach, stand up. And there's a bunch of guys who stood up and, and I didn't stand up. I, I didn't feel called to preach. Even as I finished out my Bible college career here uh, in 2012, by the time I came to graduate, I don't know that I was ever necessarily called to preach. There wasn't a moment where I sat in a church service and said, oh, God's really stirring my heart about preaching the Bible. Uh, never was that time. But I can remember distinctly when God called me to reach a city. That's a fact. I can remember that like it was yesterday. That God says, I've got a city and I've got people there and I need you to go find them. Now, as a result of that, if you're going to reach a city, you need a church. And so I, I answered the call to be a church planter because I'm called to reach a city. Somebody's got to pastor the church. I'll pastor the church in that function, in that role. If somebody needs to preach the word, I'll do that. But I'm called to reach a city. And we need men and women who would claim a city for Jesus. They would take a look at a map and pray over a map and look at streets and look at locations and look at real estate and look at housing prices and look at new neighborhoods that are being built and areas that, of people that need Jesus. Not try to find some place where you can scratch off a, a piece of dirt and get 10 or 12 people to show up for church. I'm talking about thinking big. I want to reach people for Jesus, much people, the way that Paul did. And the way he did that is he went to the city. Next, I see in this passage of Scripture that Paul wasn't really concerned about his own comfort or standard of living. Take a look at Acts chapter 18, verse number 3. Actually, verse number 2, and he found a certain Jew 
named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and he came unto them. Because he was the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. I see in this passage that Paul wasn't greatly concerned about his own comfort or standard of living. You know what Paul did? He went to a city. He didn't have any financial support, so you know what he did? He went to work. He didn't have a place to live, so you know what he did? He lived with his co-workers. Look at that, verse 3. He abode with Priscilla and Aquila. Hey, guys, do you guys have an extra room where I can stay? You know why? Because Paul was more committed to planting churches and reaching people for Christ than he was of having his own place being able to be a grown-up adult and have his own apartment, have a nice place. And I, I, I grieve me talking with church planters and they say things like, well, we want to get in this really nice neighborhood because we wouldn't want to invite people over to our house if our house wasn't very nice. Oh, we need a pool with a barbecue area so we can have a cookout with our church. Oh, we need a playground for our kids to be able to play on. First of all, you don't have kids. Second of all, you don't have a church. Third of all, you're not having cookouts because you don't know anybody. Come on, Right? But, but here's the fact of the matter. Paul wasn't concerned about starting a career. Paul was concerned about reaching people. He wasn't concerned for what he could get out of it. When we started who we call a Baptist church, you know what my salary was? I'll tell you this morning. My salary was $200 a week. I haven't made $200 a week since I was in high school, okay? But I didn't go to Honolulu to make money, to have a career, to buy a house. Hey, look, our family uh, lives above our church building. We'll probably live there until the day we retire. You know why? Because housing prices are ridiculous there. And here's the thing. I didn't move there to buy a house. I didn't move there for my kids to have a big backyard to play in. I didn't, I didn't move there for my kids to ride horses or have four-wheelers. Hey, I grew up on six acres of land in Kentucky. I've never, I've never measured a lot in square feet before. We measure them in acres back in Kentucky, right? But hey, here's the thing. I didn't move there for that. I moved there because I want to do something great for God with my life. And, talk, and let me just tell you this. The majority of church planters that fail, fail because first and foremost, they're looking to enhance their standard of living. They fail because they don't know how to handle their finances. For the first time ever, they get a, a support check uh, that totals up to $8,000 a month, and they immediately go, wow, I should go out and buy a new MacBook and a new iPad Pro, and I should uh, start editing videos with this $10,000 camera. Stop it. You don't have any people in your church. Don't spend that money. Save it. Be wise. But the funny thing is, is many times people plant churches because they don't know what else to do with their life. And the Bible has a word for people who pastor for the sake of making money or making a career. It's called a hireling. You don't want to be a hireling. You want to be a shepherd. You want to guide people to spiritual fruitfulness. Paul wasn't concerned about setting up shop and getting a, a big house or taking care of his own needs. Paul was concerned about reaching people for the gospel. If that meant living with his coworkers, he was willing to do it. One of the best pieces of advice is my pastor, Pastor Chapel, gave me was if you're going to plant a church, you need to go on deputation to raise your money. He says, if you're a bivocational church planter, your church will suffer or your family will suffer and likely both of them will suffer. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got. So we traveled for 12 months and we raised financial support to start Huikala, one of the best decisions we ever made. I get to pastor full time because we did the work on the back end. But Paul says, hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. When we were on deputation, we were on deputation for 12 months and we raised every single dime of support that we needed. We were in 99 churches in 12 months and it was a, a frenetic schedule. It was crazy. 
Since I was a kid, I grew up in Kentucky, and since I was a kid, I always wanted to go to Alcatraz and take a tour of the prison there, right? Uh, lifelong dream. I drove through San Francisco on three separate occasions, and I saw Alcatraz from the window of my car as I drove past. You know how many times I stopped? Zero. Still to this day, I've never been to Alcatraz. You know why? Because I got work to do. I don't have time to go gallivanting and playing tourists and, and get a, a camera around my neck and snap pictures of me standing in a cell at Alcatraz. There's people who need Jesus. I ain't got time for this. But again, Paul had a passion. He had a burning desire. He had to get to Corinth. He had to find people that needed Jesus and was willing to do that. But oftentimes, church planners, one of the other reasons they fail is they're lazy. They just think to themselves, oh, I'll get a building. We'll turn the lights down low. We'll have somebody play an acoustic guitar, and we'll, people will just come in droves. That doesn't work that way. Every single great work of God that's ever been built has been built, built by prayer, fasting, and a ridiculous amount of hard work. Every single time. But sometimes people aren't willing to do that. They think, oh, we'll, take, we'll drop the name Baptist from our church and then people will come. Hey, look, nobody's coming to your church because of the name on the sign. If anything, the name Baptist is a help to you, not a hindrance. Let me just say that, okay? And I'm just going to leave this here. You can take it if you want it. If you decide you want to plant a non-Baptist church, you should raise your funds from non-Baptist churches, okay? Don't take money from independent Baptist churches that love Jesus and love church planting and love our heritage as Bible-believing Baptists and go plant the river. The gathering. Just stop. And let me just tell you this. All the cool ideas you come up with aren't all that cool after all. There was one guy that, that I know that I'd gone to college with, a plan at a church, and he took the name Baptist off his church. And I looked at his website just to kind of read through it. At 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, we have gospel gatherings. What? At gospel gatherings, we have the fellowship of the saints. We have a time of spirit-filled worship, and we have a time uh, of contemplating the scriptures. What? Is this a church service? No, it's a gospel gathering. It sounds a lot like a church service. No, it's a gospel gathering. Okay, it sounds like a church service to me. Oh, it is a church service. We just call it gospel gathering because church service has a negative connotation. What on, where in the Sam Hill do people come up with this stuff? <laughs> just saying, we're having a church service at 10 a.m. Y'all come, right? It's just like, <laughs> come on. You're not as cool as you think you are, okay? And look, I don't know of a single solitary church that's ever failed because they had the name Baptist in it. Not one. Not one single church I know of that has failed because of that. they fail because they're lazy, because they can't manage their finances, because they spend more than they take in, because they don't love people, because they could ex exposit themselves out of a wet paper bag. But I've never seen anybody fail because they just planted a Baptist church. That's just foolishness. But you know what Paul did after he went to the city? Third thing I see in this passage, Paul established relationships in the city. Verse number two. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, which was his wife Priscilla. See, first thing that he did is he began looking for people that needed Jesus. And he found two people that were there. And he made relationships with them. We have a handful of families that were with us whenever we started Huicala. None that we took with us. It was just our family. We didn't have a a group from West Coast coming out to do nursery or to sing for us or anything like that. It was just us. 
And by the grace of God, he gave us two families that helped start, that we found on island, that were looking for a church that had just moved there, that have helped us. One of the families, Larry and Buffy Gregory, is still there to this day, almost nine years later. Some of the fa- most faithful people we have in the entire church. After about six weeks, God brought, brought, brought Pete and Aaron Madsen uh, to our church. They were solid Christians that, that came for the specific purpose. The military moved them, but they knew when they came, they were coming to Huicala Baptist Church to help us get started. I'm telling you this, Huicala wouldn't exist today if it weren't for those people. And so when you get to a city, you start looking for people that need Jesus and looking for people who are willing to help and start enlisting a crew. We go out on outreach, we go out and knock doors, we pass out tracks, we try to engage people in conversation and things like that. But we got to get out and make relationships with people. One of the best uh, places that I have found for me personally, it's it's an evangelistic like fishing hole. As I go to a CrossFit gym and work out Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., I see the exact same people every single week for five days for an hour at a time. Everybody knows me. Everybody knows that I'm a pastor. From that, we've had probably three dozen people visit our church from our gym. Uh, we've had two people uh, that joined our church and were baptized as a result of that. We've had four people go through discipleship, and we've had about a dozen get saved through that. Through what? Going to the gym. And here's the thing. I don't go to the gym because I, I want to be fit or I want to be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, Pastoral Edition, or anything like that. Like, <laughs> look. I'm there because here's the thing. I'm long past the area where, where I want to look good. I'm just trying to stay alive at this point. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to die, okay? But here's the thing. I go every single day with the intention of being on the lookout for people that I don't know. Hey, I haven't met you yet. My, my name's Anthony. How long have you been coming to the gym here? Oh, you're originally from here? No way. You just moved here? Do you have a church yet? You, we should totally talk after the work. I'm going to give you an invitation to the best church since the book of Acts. You totally got to come. Uh, and every single day. And over a period of time, you build friendships and relationships with people. And people begin to say, hey, I'm interested in that. Hey, uh, my, my mom passed away and I could use some prayer and get the opportunity to pray with people. Why? Just making relationships. Sometimes people think, well, I can plant a church because I'm a good preacher. Just know this. First of all, you're probably not as good as you think you are. Second of all, 98% of the work of a church planner has nothing to do with preaching whatsoever. Not, it's like 2% of your week. And so if you're a good preacher, that means you're 98% deficient in every other area that you need to be in, right? So again, to, to be a church planter requires more than just being able to preach really good. There's a unique set of skills that you need to be able to go into a city, to make relationships, to connect with people, to get people on board, to get people to buy into the vision of what God wants to do in your life through your city. That requires discipline, though. Some of you are struggling with discipline in Bible college. Let me just tell you this. If you're struggling with discipline in Bible college, you're going to struggle with discipline when you get out in the ministry too. And look, I know that sounds like something Dr. R would say, but I'm just telling you. It's true. And here's the thing. I got to come to Bible college after six years in the United States Navy, the world's finest Navy. Uh, I came to, and then having four years in uh, owning our own business, and then I came to Bible college as a grown adult. And I'm sitting in classes and telling people, you need to make your bed when you wake up in the morning. It's just like, come on, really? But I think to myself, you don't know the first thing about discipline in your life right now. You won't know discipline when you're in the ministry. And look, how you do some things is how you do everything. And look, if you're constantly turning in your projects late, turning your projects halfway done, or God forbid, cheating on stuff, it's not going to be any different when you get in the ministry. So fix that now. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. I don't know who you are, but you needed to hear that. God's not going to bless your life as you cheat 
and you're a lazy, slothful sluggard. Just not. And so discipline is required. Paul had that level of discipline, the fact that he knew what he was supposed to do. He got there and he got it done. Next thing we do is we see is that Paul surrounded himself with encouraging, life-giving relationships. We see in verse number five here, when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Silas and Timothy came. Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. It's interesting to see that when Silas and Timothy came, then Paul got fired up, didn't he? When they came to town from Macedonia, Paul's like, okay, now I'm going to let these guys have it. Now I'm going to let them know that Jesus is the Christ. You need people in your life that can get you fired up to be more bold for Jesus. And look, here's the thing. I've been to Bible college before. I've sat in the seats that you're sitting in, okay? I've been there. And I know that not every single person, because they're at West Coast Baptist College, is a sold-out Christian that greatly desires for God to use their life. I get it. I know that. And you know it too. The people that don't want to serve Jesus, those are not the type of people you want to spend your time with. Those are not the type of people you want to be influenced by. You want to find people that love Jesus and want to serve Jesus, so you need to latch on to them tightly. You know what's interesting is when we uh, first started Huikala, we would receive uh, support checks from our supporting churches. One of the times we got a support check, and I looked at the signature on the support check, and I was like, I know that guy. There's a guy that used to work Blue Crew. Is now signing checks to support our church from the church he's serving on staff at. A friend in the ministry. How about that? I'm glad I had a good testimony with him. Churches that we would go to all across the nation on deputation, I'd roll up to church in, in the middle of Illinois somewhere and be like, hey, I remember you. What years did you go to college? And we begin to talk. I'm glad that I had a good testimony. You need to find friends that can stick with you through it. You need to spend time with Dr. Getch and Dr. R because when you get out in ministry and you've had a rough day, you're going to need some friends to call on that can tell you to, hey, bud, stick with it. Stay after it. Keep going. Unfortunately, there's been times where people have, have uh, we, we've had a need for our need in ministry, whether it be an assistant to the pastor or serving in some, some secretarial role or something like that in our church. And I've called Dr. R and said, hey, what do you think about this person? And he'd say, huh, I'm sure people changed, but when they were in college, they got caught cheating on this test. I'm sure people changed, but you know, they didn't have a great testimony in this area. I'm sure people changed and God's gracious and he's good, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you this. Man, I was thankful for that. Keep a good testimony. Surround yourself with life-giving, encouraging relationships. I'm thankful for my pastor. Me and Pastor Chapel text at least once a week. He's constantly checking in on me, see how I'm doing. I'm constantly checking in on him to see how he's doing. I need friends in the ministry. Paul needed friends in the ministry that encouraged him when he was around them. So while you're in college here, find real friends that encourage your walk with Christ. Next, we see in this passage, so we get to verse number six. We see that Paul preached that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 5, verse number 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon you and your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Next we see in this passage that Paul refused to acquiesce to the cultural demands. Hey, people didn't like Paul's message. So what did Paul do? Hey, too bad. I'm going to go find some people that want to hear about Jesus. And here's the thing. He was in a city of three quarters of a million people. He didn't care. You don't want Jesus? Fine. I'm moving on to find people that do. And if you want to hear about Jesus, you know where I'll be. Simple as that. 
He didn't say like, oh, the Jews just need a little bit softer of a message. They just need to hear more about grace. No, he said, here's the, the message that Paul had, the same message that Peter had. The Christ whom you crucified is risen and coming again. And people are like, oh, I don't like that message. He didn't say like, well, let me tell you about how gracious he is. He loves you. No, he didn't. He said, fine, I'm going to go find people that need Jesus. And so many times I see church planners go sideways when they say, oh, my city's so hard. Hey, brother, every city's hard. We live in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Show me a city that's not hard. Come on. Oh, we need to soften the message. No, you don't. You need to crank it up to 11 is what you need to do. Now, mind you, I preach Jesus. This past week, I preached hell, fire, and brimstone. Those were the words that were in my message because I preached from Psalm 18 this past week. And I said, hey, if it's your first time in Huicala, first of all, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Second of all, you can leave and say, the pastor preached about hell, fire, and brimstone today, right? Here's the thing. I'm not going to soften the message. Every week we talk about sin. Every week we talk about repentance. Every, time, every week we talk about hell. Every week we call Christians back to a right relationship with God and to repent of their sin. Hey, look, I'm not softening the message. And you know what I found? The interesting thing is, is that at Who We Call a No Lie, any given Sunday, it would be unique for me to preach less than one hour on Sunday morning. Unique. Like, wow, that 55 minutes, that was short today. Sometimes I'll preach an hour and 15 minutes. And here's the thing. Nobody bats an eye at it. Amen. You know why? People love truth. They've got an appetite for it. Look, here's the thing. We live in a world where we can't even trust numbers on a spreadsheet, where we get conflicting information about so-called science. We don't even know what to trust. Hey, people are clamoring for truth. Give it to them. You don't have to weaken the message. You don't have to soften the message. Hey, you're a wicked, wretched sinner. And I am too. And praise God, Jesus died for people just like us. People love that. Love it. Nobody comes to our church because we have great music. Our, our music is good. It's not great, but it's good. Our music for a while was even average or below average. But people continue to come. Why? Because we preach truth. Paul didn't curl back from the message. He actually pushed forward with it. So many times people ask us, our church, uh, the demographics of our church would be fairly young, probably 25 to 40 would be the uh, kind of the demographics of our church. In my church, uh, I'm a 44-year-old guy. I know I look older than that, but I'm 44. Uh, I would be considered an older guy in our church. So we have a lot of young people. So when people come to our church for the first time, they look around, they go, wow, how do you guys reach so many young people? And, and if, you're, if you want to take notes on this, I'll, I'll give it to you. It's really good, okay? Love people, preach Jesus, discipleship. You know, oh, I thought you were going to give me something profound. It is profound. Oh, yeah, well, what do you do with social media? Our social media is garbage, to tell you the truth. I do it myself, and it's bad. We post like once a month, and I'm, I feel badly about it, but it just is what it is. Oh, what do you do about the you know, YouTube uh, analytics? Not, absolutely nothing. What do you do about the new Instagram algorithm? I don't even know what that is. We just love people, preach Jesus, and put people through discipleship. That's it. And let me just tell you what. That's enough. It really is. Oh, I bet you got a really cool building, don't you? If you saw our building, it's actually, I think it's cool. But it, it is no lie. It's a concrete block rectangle. It's 160 feet long by 40 feet wide. 
And it's like, it's gray concrete block. It's nothing special about it. We don't have a, 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 white, a, a white steeple out front. We don't have brick in the front. It just is what it is. We don't have a cool building. We got a great message though. We got phenomenal people that love Jesus and want people to know Jesus. We got probably 70% of our churches gone through our discipleship program and they're on fire for Jesus. I can't tell you a lot about social media. You should have a good website. You should have a Facebook. You should have an Instagram for sure. But that doesn't reach people. Loving people reaches people. And here's the thing too. Some of you are sitting here thinking to yourself, I don't know if I could be a church planter. I don't know that I'm a great preacher. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a great preacher. Just preach Jesus and love people. That's all. No lie. At West Coast Baptist College, I was an average student. You know, at graduation, when they hand out all those awards, oh, this guy's got the Eagle Award, this guy's got the, you know, Hawk Award, and this guy's got the, you know, Spiritual Leadership and Excellence Award and all that other stuff. You know how many awards I got at graduation? None. I take that back. I got like who's who among American college students. Like, does anybody even know what that is? Like, how do you get nominated for that? What does it mean? Should you put that as a bullet point in your resume or not? Like, I don't know. I don't even know what that means, right? I got some award like that. Nothing. Incredibly average. Did you know that my senior year for the preaching contest, here's what you did. You preached your message in your homiletics class. And the top 50% of the people that were the best in the homiletics class got to preach in the North Auditorium and in, in Revels 102 to Dr. Gatch and the other homiletics teacher at the time got the opportunity to preach there. You know what? The, my senior year, you know where I finished in that? I didn't break the top 50, Okay. That means before you today in 2012 was in the top 50th percentile of the worst preachers at West Coast Baptist College. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Top 50th percentile, worst preachers ever that year. But you know what? I'm thankful that God didn't hold me responsible for how well I preach. God just held me responsible for what I could be faithful to. That's all. And here's the thing. To this day, I still don't preach well, and that's fine. I don't care. I don't have to preach well. I just have to love and serve people well. That does the work. Again, we find very few of Paul's sermons, outlines in the Bible. We find a lot of Paul's interactions with people, of him loving and serving people all throughout Scripture. You might say, I'm not a great preacher. Good. Can you love and serve people? If so, you'd probably be a great church planner. Now, should you be able to handle the Scriptures? Sure. But at the end of the day, that's not the biggest thing. Church planning is really about investing in one life at a time. We take a look at verses 7 and 8 in this passage. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined heart to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord in all of his house. And many of the Corinthians were hearing, believed, and were baptized. You know where it all started? It started with Justice. Verse number 7. I don't know how he knew Justice, but Justice had a house. And he went and had the opportunity to share the gospel of Christmas. Christmas got saved. And then what happened? Many Corinthians after that believed and were baptized. You got people that are now committing to follow Jesus with their life. Why? Because it all started with justice. Simple as that. And again, so many times, I met with a guy one time who was playing a non-denominational church in Honolulu. He asked if he could get together with me and, and ask questions. I love to talk about church playing. So if you've got questions, I'd love to answer them. But here's the thing. He asked me, he said, hey, what do you think about this, that, and the other? We're looking to launch big. Like, we're looking to have at least 300 people our first Sunday. I said, that's a bad idea. He goes, no, we're going to launch big. That way we can keep the momentum going. Dude, you should just start with like five people that you can remember their names. Because people matter to Jesus and people should matter to you. Did Jesus preach to crowds? For sure, but he was always looking for people. 
Always. And look, it, it would be more beneficial for you to have five people that you knew their names and what's going on with them than the 500 people that are just a faceless congregation. Individually investing in people one at a time. I talked to a lady this past Sunday that came for the second time. Her name was Jenny. She said, uh, she said, Pastor, I've been to 20 different churches on this island before and I've never met the pastor before. How is that possible? She's like, I don't know. She's like, but it's strange that you stand out here on the sidewalk and talk to everybody as they leave. And I said, yeah. I said, I said hey, you filled out a card last week, but I didn't get your cell phone number. I'd love to have that on, on me. So if I ever need to text you or something, I can. She said, sounds great. She gave me her number. So afterwards, I texted her. I said, hey, thanks for coming. I'm praying for you this week. Hope you have a good trip to the Big Island. And she texted me back. And she was like, again, I've never spoken to another pastor before in 20 years in 20 different churches. I've never received a text message from a pastor who gave me a cell phone number. Wow. That's so big, isn't it? No, it's big to her. You know why? Because she felt like she mattered. And when it comes to reaching people, whether you're a church planner or you're just a soul winner, people need to know that they matter. They need to know that you love them and you actually care. And I love what, what it says down here at the uh, verse number 10. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, these are in red because Jesus said it. For I am with thee and no man shall set thee to hurt for I have much people in this city. Paul, I'm just getting ready to, to, to do a work here in Corinth and you've only seen the tip of the iceberg because here's the thing, final thought here today. Be faithful because God's bringing a harvest. God has much people in, in those cities that we heard named off, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, Honolulu, Hawaii, Kahului, Maui. I mean, like tons of, there's tons of places in Hawaii that need churches. The question is, we, we, we need people to be willing to go. So I don't know that I'm gifted. I don't know that I was ever gifted. I still don't know that I'm gifted. But I know that Jesus is enough. Yeah. I know that oftentimes in Scripture, God's not looking for people that are ridiculously qualified. He's just looking for people that are available. And I said, hey, God, I don't know what you can do in my life, but I'm willing to go if you could use me. And we went, and God's used us. And again, I believe we've just seen the tip of the iceberg. We, we planted Huikala in 2013 and asked God when we planted it to give me 25 years as the pastor there. I'll be 62 by the time I retire. That means I'm eight and a half years into a 25-year commitment that I've made to Jesus in that church. Man, we're just getting things rolling at this point. I'm excited to see what lies ahead. So here's a few practical steps for you. For you guys that are thinking about being church planner, jot these thoughts down. Go where the people are, first of all. Simple as that. Go where people are. Next, your marching orders are very simple. Go, win, baptize, teach. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it more difficult than it has to be. It's really easy. Go, win, baptize, teach. It's the Great Commission. Next, love people, preach the Bible, emphasize discipleship. That's it. The bread and butter for our church is loving people and discipleship. It's not the pulpit ministry, although that's important. It's not our music ministry, which is good. It's not our children's ministry, which I believe is one of the tops in the world. But our bread and butter is loving people and discipleship. Oh, what do you use for discipleship? Continue. 14-week program on how, what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. I'm telling you this, it'll, it'll change people's lives. I was talking with Dr. Getch uh, earlier. We found that the majority of people in our church that come to our church that are living in sin aren't living in outright rebellion against God because they hate God or they want to do their own thing. They just didn't know any better. We live in a society now where, where sin is of ignorance, not of rebellion. We had a couple who was going through our discipleship program. That they were living together. She said, we want to get baptized. I said, you can't. And she said, why? I said, because you guys are living together. And she said, is that bad? 
yeah, it's a sin. Let me show you from the Bible why. And she said, can you excuse me for a moment? She went in the bathroom and cried. And she came back and she said, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know that was a sin. Do we have to leave the church? I said, heavens no. This is the only place where you're going to get the help that you need. And she said, do other people in the church know? I said, everybody knows. And she was, I'm so embarrassed. Well, good, let's fix it. And by the grace of God, they fixed it. They're some of the finest people we have in our church. They got married. They leave one of our small groups together. I mean, phenomenal folks. But they just didn't know. They needed discipleship. And some of you are sitting here today going, okay, I know I'm not planting a church. Or you might be a lady sitting here saying, church planting is, is great, but how does this impact me? Here's the, for the folks who don't feel called to church planting or maybe aren't going to be church planters. Here's some thoughts for you. First of all, join a church plant if possible. A church plant would love to have a committed Christian who knows their stuff, who can share the gospel, who can love people, who can disciple, and who can tithe. Heavens. They would love to have you. You would be a gift to a church plant. And so consider, pray if God would use you to support a church plant. Next, if you're part of an established church that's been around for a while, treat it like a church plant. Man, I'm going to be looking for every opportunity I have to jump in, to get involved, to love people, to serve people. I'm going to look for discipleship opportunities. I'm going to look for somebody I can bring along with me on my faith. Hey, if I'm running a bus route, I'm going to find a new Christian and ask them to ride on the bus route with me so I can show them how it's done. Hey, if I'm going out on an outreach or making a visit to somebody who's, who came this past Sunday, I'm going to take my partner with me who might be, have been walking with Jesus for two weeks now. They need to see this stuff. Man, treat it like a church plan. Love people. It's as simple as that. And also, this goes for everybody. Be a part of creating a spirit-led, magnetic church culture that just draws people to it. Angela and I, before we left, Lancaster Baptist had the opportunity to, to begin a singles class here and really kind of helped reboot our singles ministry. It was one of the most phenomenal moves of God and times of revival that I've ever experienced in my life prior to starting this church. It was incredible. But we created a culture where people were drawn to it. They wanted to be at church. They wanted to hang out together. They wanted to spend time outside of church together. Create a culture where people are drawn to the community of Christ. That's what church planning is. It's not about having church services on Sunday morning. It's about creating an environment of community built upon Jesus that draws us all closer together. Final thought here today, and I'm done. Here's this you got to ask yourself this question. I asked myself this question back in, in 2011 time frame. We were serving on staff here at Lancaster Baptist Church, and we were involved in the singles ministry. We just bought a house over here in East Lancaster, biggest house I've ever seen in my life at the time. We had a three-car garage, big, huge lot, end of a cul-de-sac, like we were living it, right? But then I came across this idea of this. Is this all the glory God gets out of my life, again, as a comfortable ministry position in a nice neighborhood at a really good church with a phenomenal pastor. Like, is this the end of the road for us? And the answer was no. And I began to ask myself this question. You should write down this question and ask yourself this question on a continual basis. How do I maximize God's glory in my life? What is a way that I can stretch myself so that God can get more glory from my life? And for us, honestly, we tapped out here at Lancaster Baptist. We hit our ceiling. I was never going to be sitting on the platform. I was never going to be preaching on a Sunday morning. Frankly, I'm surprised I was invited to preach in chapel today, okay? Honestly. And this is probably historic because it's the first time and probably the last time I'll ever be invited to, to be here. So thanks for being here. Uh, but <laughs> here's the thing. I tapped out 
on how high I could go here at Lancaster Baptist. Not on the org chart or the flow chart, but opportunities to serve Jesus. And we found a city out in the middle of the ocean that was greatly in need of the gospel. And I asked God, God, would you allow me and my family to go there and maximize your glory to a greater degree? And God says, yes, get her done, son. That's what we did. We packed up and we went. And let me just tell you this. The things that God has done have been absolutely phenomenal. One of our, our guys came here to go to Bible college, Jordan Salas. Jordan did, came here, got on fire for God, and, and continued to grow. Uh, for those of you that know Jordan, Jordan had the opportunity to lead two guys to Christ since he's been back since January. He starts discipleship this week with one of the new believers in our church. Like, dude, he's like on fire. You know what he's doing? He's just working a secular job, being faithful to church, waiting on God's opportunity to do something great for God. You know why? He's just all about maximizing God's glory in his life. So I'm going to ask you that. Is God getting the maximum amount of glory in your life right now? When you begin to look at your plans after graduation or maybe after the semester, some of you might not even finish Bible college. Maybe you're going back to community college or maybe you're going to go on to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. That's great. As long as God gets to maximize his glory in your life, don't cap yourself. Don't say, oh, this is all God could use me to do. No, God's got so much more in store because God has much people in cities all throughout the world that need Jesus. So... How's God going to do that in your life? Young men, maybe there's a city on the map that needs you. Maybe you need to, to redraw re your plans for the rest of your life. Maybe you just need to write everything out in pencil and let God finish the rest of it. I don't know, but I know that God wants to use you to reach people. This week at Church Planning Emphasis, I was giving you a burden for churches around the nation. You can pray for them and, and be a part of what God's doing through them. But here's the thing. I know this. When I stand before God, I don't want to stand there embarrassed. I want to stand there with joy saying, I wasn't perfect, but I lived every single day for this moment right here. And Father, it's good to see you. Let's live life like that this week.